The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. friends, welcome to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, here with Ian Harditz, John Daigle. Gentlemen, how are we in this midweek episode? I'm doing great, Josh. I don't know about John. Ian, I feel like you're always great. Like, do you have, I've seen a couple moments where you do express frustration, but mm-hmm. overall, you seem like... <laughs> mm-hmm. Office construction will get him. Overall, I think you're a very, very happy person. Hey man, it's always a great day to be great. Don't be afraid to be great. Happy? I figured I was the happier one than him. He's just more, like, lackadaisical. Like, he just kind of coasts. Like, he's very carefree, and I like that about him. There's a lot him. of things in life we don't need to worry about that people worry about anyway. So. so, today is a different type of Wednesday episode. I totally agree with that, by the way. Let's not make our lives more complicated than they are. Mm. Uh, this is a one-off. You know, we're eight weeks plus through the NFL season. Why not take a look at the season so far for basically every single team? Think about how each team is doing in this current moment, and then looking forward as well. Eight weeks, eight games for many of these teams is a lot. And how we're going to structure this is we're going to look at the playoff pictures for the AFC, the teams that are still in the hunt, then go to the teams most likely out of it, and then do the same thing on the NFC side. Ready to get into it, boys? Let's do it. We're ready. All right, let's start off with the one seed. That is the New England Patriots at 8-0. The Patriots' window to win has been endless so far Mm -hmm. in, what, 10-plus years of existence of Bill Belichick and Tom Brady working in unison. But what has stood out to you, Ian, so far this season and how they've won football games compared to maybe how they've done it in the past? It's the best version of the Patriots defense we've ever seen somehow, and it's happening in the, you know, offensive golden age, which is just that much more ridiculous. Their defense has scored five touchdowns this year. Their defense has allowed four touchdowns this year. It's week nine. Like, this is absolutely insane. And, like, you, know, you can pull up any metric, they're number one. But I think the one thing is just they are shutting down the pass like no other. Like, literally, they're having 3.9 net yards per pass attempt this year, 4.6 yards per carry. You're literally better off running the ball against the Patriots and trying wow. to throw it. And well, not only their defense, but they're doing this with pieces coming in and out of the lineup in their offense. Like, they lose Josh Gordon, it doesn't matter. They have Antonio Brown. We're going to forget in a couple years that Antonio Brown even played one game. <laughs> and not only played, but they force-fed him to get him involved in this one game. Uh, it just doesn't matter what happens. Sonny Michelle still hasn't caught a single ball with Rex Burkhead healthy, but then they just throw him in the lineup and get him to catch passes whenever Burkhead's out. It's just 
they continue rolling. They're the number one team for a reason every single year. We know the defense is historic so far, but we also have talked about prior to the season that defenses that are historic, it's difficult for that to be sticky year over mm -hmm. year. Is it going to be possible for the Patriots to do that from game one to game 19 when they possibly win the Super Bowl? That's a major question for me because so far this offense is unspectacular. It really is. And like you mentioned, Ian, it is a different identity this team has this year. But I do feel like, and going back to your point, Daigle, how they are understanding and self-evaluating this offense as it goes along, it's been imperfect so far. And, and honestly, it might only get better from here on out because you have missed Isaiah Wynn at left tackle. Mm -hmm. You had the Josh Gordon-Antonio Brown situation where there were no names or receivers or options pass catching the ball um, outside of Julian Edelman. And then you go and spend a second-round pick on Mohamed Sanu. Um, in the end, we think we can figure. We think they can figure it out on offensive side of the ball because of Tom Brady, right? I just they don't. They always do, right? Yeah. They always do. Even if they don't, it doesn't matter. They're still still <laughs> going to be playing for a Super Bowl. So, it's you know, it, it's it's such an odd, and they haven't played anyone that much in the first half of no. the season. But it is so difficult to bet against this team as we go on through the final So they hit their the bye week 10, and then the quarterbacks they play the rest of the year, if yeah. you want to try to gauge their defense. Uh, after the bye, Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, probably Patrick Mahomes, Ryan Finley, Josh Allen, and Ryan Fitzpatrick or Josh Rosen. Huh. So it gets a little bit tougher, but it doesn't matter. You're still starting them every single week. This little cloud, though, of Brady 2020 may not being on the Patriots is getting more interesting each and every the week. Correct you hear voices, Tony Romo's? Yes. Yeah, the correct voices are saying the only people that are saying he could play elsewhere are the people you trust. That's yeah. that's why it rings. All right, let's go. Hold yeah, on, go real quick though. Like at the end of the 2017 season, we had story after story about the dysfunction between Belichick, Brady, and Kraft, right. and then they just go and win our Super Bowl. And it's like, oh no, they're actually as good as ever. So. But it's not dysfunction this year though. It's it's more or less like Brady leaning towards a different direction. Well, Tom Kern, who I really trust and works at NBC Sports Boston, said he expects Brady to go look elsewhere, but then ultimately come back to the okay, Patriots. And I, and I think that that that's is the most reasonable very, take I've heard. Yeah, I'm just saying I'm old take. enough to remember when Jimmy Garoppolo was apparently the the guy driving apart the Patriots dynasty. Well, look, if Tom goes to San Francisco, then where's Jimmy going to go? <laughs> Back to New England. All right. When I was putting this and planning this podcast together, I had no idea prior to making this list who the number two seed is as we look at the full screen here you know? for the standings. And Well, now I do because okay. I did the work. <laughs> but at the time, I was like, holy crap. The Indianapolis Colts oh, are the actual currently seed. the I didn't second know until you seed said in the AFC at five and two right now. And now you have to go is go look back at August 24th, right? That August night mm -hmm. in the during the third preseason game of the Indianapolis Colts, and Andrew Luck retires basically mid-game, holds this spectacular press conference at the end. And at that point, we had no idea what to think of this Colts team. Again, now they're 5-2 and two with narrow wins of a margin of 2, 3, 6, 7, and 2 points. But, Ian, so far through these seven games, the Colts are getting it done. It's because you have the NFL's best offensive line, I think. I mean, if there is a team where you could lose your starting quarterback a week or two before the season and survive, I think it's the Colts. I mean, PFF just came out with their midseason rankings. They are saying the number one offensive line. We all know Quentin Nelson's amazing, but Anthony Costanzo, I mean, I think he deserves to be mentioned among some of the league's very best tackles as well. And, you know, Jacoby Brissett has actually put up numbers in the first half of the season. I don't know if he's going to be a consistent top 10 fantasy quarterback, but the guy at least makes a handful of plays a game that puts them in a position to win, as we've seen. I mean, he had a play last week to get them down a field goal range. Oh, my where gosh. 
free rushing Vaughn Miller, avoids him, rolls out, and hits T.Y. Hilton on a line with Chris Harris right in his hip pocket about 40 yards downfield. So, you know, I didn't know how good Jacoby was before this season. Again, I still don't know if he's an elite, elite quarterback, but at the very least, you know, he's good enough to lead them on a nice little playoff run. We know those one-score games regress from year to year, and that's why Warren Sharp was the one harping this past year that the last 20 years, the Colts were the only team to hold a lead going through the fourth quarter and still win out of those games four and five. And now we're slowly seeing those one-score games regress. Uh, coaching definitely helps. Like, Frank Reich is the reason they are winning these close games, yeah. just by, not by making dumb decisions. Um, even this past week, no coach challenges a uh, defensive a DPI, like a defensive penalty, and yet he challenged one and then won. Like, he's just doing all the right things. It is, and your point to what Jacoby Brissett did, that 35-yard dime on the sideline to T.Y. Hilton, I yeah. believe, going out of bounds. I think in order for the Colts to sustain the success, they will have to have Jacoby Brissett make plays on an individual basis. But outside of him, I'm not sure where the playmakers are. Like, we talk about how good this defense is in moments, and last year more so than this year, because, in fact, this year it's been below average. I don't see really any playmakers defensively. Offensively, I mean, Marlon Mack is more of a volume runner mm -hmm. than big play runner. And other than T.Y. Hilton, none of those passing options scare you completely. And that would worry me as the Colts go along right now again at 5-2. and two. But then I look at their schedule. It's the Steelers, it's the Dolphins, mm -hmm. and it's the Jaguars in the next three. Very conceivable they start the season 8-2. and two. I don't know if the defense is ever going to be this like top five unit, one of the true difference-making units, but they were without Malik Hooker and Darius Leonard, who might be their top two playmakers for a stretch. So I do think they are going to get better as the season goes on. And the guy that we thought was going to emerge as their number two without Devin Funches, Deion Kane, was just simply healthy scratch this past week. Zach Pascal. It, it led Zach Pascal to run a, run a season high, 92% of snaps, um, 34 routes, I believe. So he's now their number two. But again, who knows Zach Pascal? Wonder if we see Paris Campbell getting involved at all this season. It'll go up. He. First Four snaps, I think, this past first week. First game back from his abdomen was this yeah. past week. So I think uh, they'll slowly kind of get Chester Rogers a little bit out of the, the rotation. Their best three wide receiver set is Hilton, Pascal, and Campbell with Eric Ebron out there. Yes. Um, it's, I, I look at this, though, with a very, very good division in terms of the Texans and Jags being very competitive and just a close game is behind. We'll get to them in a moment. Uh, the other team that's 5-2 and two right now in the three seed because of the AFC North is the Baltimore Ravens. We've talked about this, it seems like, each and every week, but it's worth repeating. This is a very different team than the ones we are accustomed to in the Ravens of the past. This is an offensive football team. The defense mm -hmm. right now, so far, has been below average, and it's a total departure from that history of the Ravens, and it's all because, all because of the 32nd overall pick a few drafts ago in Lamar Jackson, and he's the absolute heart of the team, and they win and lose because of Lamar Jackson. Yeah. And this week is tough, Sunday in particular, against the Patriots. But they've done this without really even getting their running backs involved in the passing game. Like, Justice Hill has been a non-factor. Um, Mark Ingram's run the 36th most routes among, among running backs, only has 12 catches through seven games. And it's not like they're going to change that. They just haven't shown any interest. Um, they're doing it basically with only Lamar Jackson as their main running back and quarterback, Marquise Brown, and Mark, Mark Andrews when he doesn't drop the ball. When Lamar came in the league, we were like, this guy could be the next Michael Vick as a rusher. And that's exactly what he has been. He's averaging a league high 6.9 yards per carry. Very nice. And look, in NFL history, only two, there's only been two instances of a quarterback averaging over 70 rushing yards per game. 
Lamar Jackson last year in his seven starts and Lamar Jackson this year. He's at 82 yards per game. This just doesn't happen. Vic's best season ever was 65 rushing yards per game. You know, you can say his was more electric or whatever. I won't disagree with you there. But, like, truly, we are witnessing the most productive rushing quarterback ever. I, I do think in some ways the Seahawks' victory is somewhat shaping our view of the Ravens so far this season, right? Because they had an easy start with the Dolphins and the Cardinals, mm -hmm. easy games for Lamar to put up ridiculous production. Then a difficult stretch against the Chiefs and the Browns, and lost both those. Then again, Steelers, Bengals, very easy victories, or should have been. Meanwhile, the Seahawks, we saw that Lamar has that ability in just his second season as a starter to take control of games. And while Seattle's defense is not what it was either, um, you still had Lamar in individual moments, third in somethings, fourth in goals, that he was the one leading this team to victory. I just hope that that is sustainable. That is something because when the entire weight of the team is on one person's shoulders, especially in their second year at quarterback when he is a unique player at that position, because um, this to me is one of the most fun teams in the NFL. It's good to have your best player on the team, though, touch the ball every play. And I imagine that we'll, is true. I imagine we'll dissect this matchup, his toughest matchup to date, um, on the next podcast. Yeah, and the Patriots one, I'm sure we will during the preview episode. But I do want to bring up this nugget that the Patriots, along with the Lions last year, were the team, and in many other cases with other teams, um, they were the ones to make the blueprint to beat the Rams and how to shut down that offense. That Rams offense is very different than this Ravens one. But I also believe that Bill Belichick has the ability to come up with a certain defense to at least put in check an opposing offense, and then other teams copy that. So it'll be interesting to see if that happens this weekend. The Ravens are averaging over 30 points per game, 435 yards per game, both the best marks in franchise history. And I do want to touch on the secondary for a moment because they added Marcus Peters, obviously Earl mm -hmm. Thomas this offseason. Marlon Humphrey is, can be one of the best young corners in the NFL. Jimmy Smith should be back this week, too. I, I, I think that as we move on, if that defense becomes a little more stable, that secondary can be that piece to add some playmakers on that side of the ball to have them create some big plays in pivotal moments like we always talk about with defenses that are, that are below average. Yeah, the only question I have with them is, like, will they have that front seven that can kind of stand up against the ground? And we see the best defense in the league are better against the pass than the run because, you know, you can always just kind of yeah. add bodies to the box and deal with it that way. But I don't know. I feel like in the AFC, you always got to go back and look at how do they match up against the, against the Patriots, excuse me. And I don't know. I feel like they're still a couple pieces away because, let's face it, they still have Flacco's contract and the salary cap. I mean, yeah. the fact they're doing any of this is incredible because they're not getting the usual benefit of having a quarterback on their rookie contract where they can spend elsewhere. Does this team need Marquise Brown to get back to his first two-week form in order to be a true contender? They need him healthy. 100% they need him healthy. I mean, he's their number one wideout, and we saw when he's out, it's Mark Andrews, and that's it. Miles um, Boykin is kind of a non-factor right now just because Lamar Jackson still struggles throwing to the outside. So, yeah, they absolutely have to have him back 100%. Yeah, he should be back this week, so yes. we'll see. And there's a difference between winning by paper cuts, which his team is built to do, and then create the big play. And so far, Lamar has been the one to create the big play since Marquise Brown has been out with those injuries. All right, four seed currently, the Kansas City Chiefs at 5-3. and three. The Chiefs have now lost three of four games, and those three losses have been to the Indianapolis Colts, the Houston Texans, and the Denver Broncos. All three losses are at home. And they aren't losing because of the quarterback, I don't even think, last week. Mm -hmm. Did I say the Broncos? I meant the Packers were one of those losses. Anyways, um, because Matt Moore played well against the Packers. So my, I guess, suggestion here 
is I do worry about this defense because on paper it's a better defense than it was last year, but on the field it certainly hasn't been so far this year. Yeah, I mean, the one big issue last week, and I know you kind of pointed this out on Twitter right when it happened, didn't have Chris Jones, didn't have Frank Clark, Darren Lee is, you know, dealing with an illness thing. So there's, I think at full strength, their defense can be good. Like we actually, in terms of DVOA rank and stuff like that, like they were trending towards being a nice little average defense where in years past we've seen them kind of rank towards the bottom of the league. And that's all they need to be. When you got a healthy Patrick Mahomes eventually, as long as you're just an average defense and not getting absolutely blasted every week, that's fine. But they need to get healthier. They need to be able to control that line of scrimmage for that to happen. Yeah, they're still top five in sacks at least, but still it's with Frank Clark on the field. He was kind of a non-factor, as you said. He's just been uh, invisible pretty much. So once everyone is healthy, I would imagine it's better. And with Patrick Mahomes back under center, we probably don't even have this conversation. Like they are the one team, he's the one player who we know can take the Patriots, even if it's a blizzardy, like 20 degrees, whatever, negative 20 outside. Like He took them to um, – uh, overtime in the playoffs like we know what they can do but in that exactly what we said last year and then they weren't able to do it and then they spent their offseason yeah, trying to be in a position where they didn't have to have that one stop at the end of last year adding Frank Clark adding Tyron Matthew you know they've improved this roster mm-hmm. yet I'm not even sure if I'm as confident in this team now as I was in the 2018 version of the Chiefs I just hate saying they didn't do it because it all comes back to that atrocious offsides call on D Ford yeah they did do it they did, I, but they didn't. I, I mean, I'm still – nothing has changed my opinion on that team. Well, I mean, but to your point, Ian, that goes back to one individual play, right? You, you can pick and choose a lot. Yeah, yeah you, you can. Like, you can pick individual plays, but they went into this year hoping to not rely on those okay. one and two or three plays per sure. game. They wanted to then beat teams by 10 points, by 14 points, which is very difficult to do, but their offense was able to do that each game. It was a defense bringing them down. And so far, and maybe, again, we're only halfway through the season. This is kind of a reset that we're doing today. They have the pieces that are better than last year, but so far it hasn't come together in order for them to kind of have that mindset they were hoping to have. I think getting Tyree Kill fully back and great in this offense is just going to be absolutely huge. I mean, you know, I I wouldn't call him the best wide receiver in the league, but I think he is potentially like the most influential offensive weapon just in terms of the things he makes defenses have to account for. And I know Mahomes has missed basically two games, but 15 passing touchdowns for Mahomes at this halfway point compared to 50 passing touchdowns. It's almost like touchdown regression is a real thing. I mean, oh gosh. No, I'm not. I'm not saying he's playing worse, Ian. I'm, I'm not just saying, saying he's playing worse either. Eh. Touchdown regression is clearly like a. But a like real we, thing. we were making that, we were like mocking that point after like three weeks when he threw. Let's see, three oh, touchdowns, what? four touchdowns, three touchdowns. I don't think we were mocking it. We were like, this is good, but Some I still think it's gonna. Okay, it. that's fair. Nah. That's fair. Some no, I'm with it, it is. It is surprising that you know he's gone zero touchdowns, one touchdown. Yeah, so. And and his his worst play is still like you take it over any other quarterback in the league. Like his worst play is still the best in the league, which is why I don't think it's interesting to talk about. Yeah. But I truly don't think any of this matters come playoff time as long as they're in. Once they get in, then all bets are off. Also stood out to me looking at the numbers that LaShawn McCoy is basically doubling up Damian Williams so far this season. It's been a complete non-factor, Damian Williams. And so it's an interesting one though moving forward. Like Damian Williams was droppable literally until that end of the third quarter when Sean McCoy fumbled. 13 touches to Damian Williams, zero at that point. And then suddenly Damian Williams, seven touches to Sean McCoy, zero to finish the fourth quarter. And he looked really good. Like I've not did. seen Damian look better. That was better. playoff Damian Williams. Exactly. That was final four games of the season, Damian Williams, yes. 
All right, the five seed. We can still kill our shares, though. They're done. They're <laughs> the dead. first of the wild card teams is the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills are five and two. Their How? two losses have been to How? good football teams: the New England Patriots and the Philadelphia Eagles. Tell us how, Daigle. That's why I'm asking. It's not rhetorical. It's like, even if you look at advanced metrics, like your estimated points, like the Bills aren't even in the top 20 in the league. It, it's very. It seems like that sneaky Tyrod. Taylor Bills team or Nathan Peterson Peterman Bills team, whatever you want to say, that snuck into the playoffs against the Chargers and yet, yet they shouldn't have been there whatsoever. Um, that's kind of what they're doing. Uh, I, they've done it without Devin Singletary, really, too. They're still leaning on Frank Gore. Um, even though moving forward for fantasy in particular, Devin Singletary played nearly 70% of the snaps in week one, got injured the next week, came back uh, limited a little bit on 33% of the snaps, and then this past week, 68% of the snaps again. Dare, Singletary will never be the 10 carry, 10 plus carry guy that Frank Gore is. But if he's getting over five targets a game, he's still a flex play every single week because he's that explosive. But he's not the reason why. I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of stunned two. that we're talking so much about this running back situation because I don't know what else. So what do you? How are they five and two? Their defense has been amazing. Yeah, exactly. And this is their secondary specifically. I mean, only the Bears and Patriots have gone longer without allowing a 300 plus yard passer. This goes back to week one of last season. I mean. Their secondary, Tredavious White, Stud, you know, Levi Wallace playing well, Teron mm -hmm. Johnson, like they have, and now um, Edmonds, their middle linebacker, like Edmonds. truly one Matt of the best. Poyer's exactly. still one of the best safeties in the league, yeah. All three, like the, their one missing piece from last year was, um, oh my gosh, long time defensive tackle. He was there forever. Kyle. Williams. Kyle Williams from Kyle LSU. Williams. My bad. And they replaced him with Ed freaking Oliver, a top yeah. 10 pick. Yeah. So like truly they've had this Who's great, great continuation. Quiet. Yeah, but it's, I'm just saying, like, the one piece they had to replace, they were able to replace it with the top ten talent. So, right. it's, you know, it's not surprising to me how good their defense has been. And we've seen Josh Allen take little steps forward, mm -hmm. which, hey, he has good receivers. And then year. a big stride back. Uh, yeah. But that is the Josh Allen roller coaster. And, you know, there was a moment on this podcast when I talked about that. I don't care if Josh Allen is good. I don't care if Josh Allen is bad. I am enjoying the Josh Allen entertainment oh, yeah. factor and the roller coaster. But it is a legitimate question to ask if this team can be a real contender, because that's what this whole conversation is, right? Not only can, get, can they get to the playoffs, because I think this Bills team can get to the playoffs, but can they really win the whole thing? And can Josh Allen put things together even to like the degree that Joe Flacco did when they won the Super Bowl with the Baltimore Ravens? Can he have that sustained success for a three or four game stretch for this team to win the Super Bowl and to play mistake football in those three or four games? And I don't think it's in Josh Allen's identity. To do that, and I think that's very, very concerning long term here for the Bills. Yeah, I think their best case is he puts together good four quarters and they can snipe like one playoff win. Maybe they get a wild card game at home, but yeah, I don't see them sustaining it over a long time. And what if John Brown goes down? You know, are they just going <laughs> to plug in Robert Foster and then think it's going to be Robert Foster and Cole Beasley? No, Robert Foster is really good. This team is already scoring fewer than 20 points per game mm -hmm. this season. 20 <clears throat> points per game. 20 points should be, for every single playoff team, at least the bottom point to scored total every single game this season, right? This team is averaging less than that, and they're 5-2. and two. And the schedule as we go along, the Redskins, the Broncos, the road games, the Browns, and the Dolphins as the home games. I mean, no, excuse me, that's the opposite. Redskins, Broncos at home, Cleveland, and Miami Darn. on the road. I thought we were going to have like Josh Allen throw an elevation. That that, <laughs> that, that's an easy next four-game schedule. I mean, that could, they could easily be 9-2. and two. So the question is, can they win it all? And to win it all, they have to beat the Patriots, obviously. And we saw them play the Patriots. 
Josh Allen really needs to cut. The interceptions are fine. I don't even care. He needs to cut down the fumbles, first of all. And I still have it embedded in the back of my brain because I know we're all going to rush to rewatch that game if they do reach that point. And if you remember, after they came out of the first half, they went no huddle on their very first drive the entire second half, and they just walked. They marched down the Patriots' throat. So I was like, okay, maybe they remember that. They probably don't. But maybe they remember that, and they go no huddle for the entire game if they run into the Patriots again. Right. But at last, we have to last eight more weeks to see that, perhaps. I just – the one thing that worries me about Buffalo really is I do think they're one of the few teams that like are a lot better at home and I don't see them getting the home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Yeah. I know some people love DVOA and some people dislike it, but the Bills are 25th overall in DVOA. Yeah. I mean, they're 5-2. Yeah. and two. I know. It's wild. Yeah. The final wildcard spot in the AFC side, the sixth seed, are the Houston Texans at 5-3. and three. Um, Recently, bad news for the Texans that J.J. Watt is out for the season. Uh, it, Ian... Can it just be boiled down to, hey, if Deshaun Watson has a great game, they can win this week. If he has a poor game <clears throat> where he doesn't hit those three big plays per game, they might lose. Yeah, he needs to play like perfect for them to win almost every week. I mean, it's pretty pretty wild now not having Will Fuller out there. I mean, his he's had really brutal splits throughout his career with uh, Will Fuller in and out of the lineup. I don't think we're going to – kind of last week we already saw those not persist because Kenny Stills is such a better field stretcher than Demarius Thomas and DeAndre Carter. These guys, they've been trotting out there in recent years. The one guy I would just – like, please give him the ball. What what has Duke Johnson done to the NFL? You're not getting it. To get this. We're not getting it. Every not week you. Ian comes on this podcast and asks the question. First in yards per carry. Seventh in yards per reception. Second in yards per touch. The guy is first in yards after contact per attempt, yet we got people screaming from the mountaintops he's not a three-down back. I've watched the film. He's a three-down back. He can run inside. Like, oh, man. All right, Lamar Jackson, Alvin Kamara, Josh Jacobs. Those are the guys breaking tackles at a higher rate than Duke Johnson this season. But That's isn't, it, it. isn't it surprising that Carlos Hyde is over four yards per carry so far this year? He's fine. He is a good, good, strong inside runner. He will get what's there. He might even fall forward for an extra game. Maybe you should try a blurb because we know Bill O'Brien reads Roto World from that, uh, what was the HBO show, Hard Knocks? Yes. Yes, he was on Roto World. So, so speaking of Bill O'Brien, as someone watching it from the outside, it's been mildly entertaining. Because he is going all in as the de facto general manager right now. We know about the Larry Tunsil trade. We know about the Kenny Stills trade. We know about the Duke Johnson trade. We know about the Gary, Gary and Conley right. trade. And this is someone who believes in this roster. And that's debatable if he should. Right. But this is also someone that if someone has a, if a player has a bad week, you're gone. And we're just going to replace you with another player and not look towards the future at all. Does that tell us something of if the Texans don't make the playoffs this year, that Bill O'Brien is frightened for his job, or is this just his mentality of a coach in a authoritative role that's also on top of the roster right I now? I cannot imagine Bill O'Brien as a forward thinker. So, <laughs> and I don't know that personally, but all the moves we've seen him make, his coaching style too, he's not really someone who looks eight games. He doesn't look in 2020, 2021. So they're clearly playing to win now, and they've created a top-heavy roster that now, without J.J. Watt, uh, it falls backwards a whole lot. He's just playing Madden franchise mode, and he has exactly. no, no intentions of playing beyond year one. All right, let's now look at the teams still in the playoff race. Again, those were the top six seeds right now. There are a number of teams in the AFC that are still able to reach one of those six spots. We'll start off with the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are one off right now at four and four. Um, just imagine if you were a Jaguars fan heading into this season. For years and years and years, your team had shown undying love to a quarterback, in quotes, in Blake Bortles, right? Then you finally take a splash in free agency. 
uh, and signed Nick Foles to a boatload of money mm -hmm. after he ma made magic happen in with the Philadelphia Eagles. Then Nick Foles goes down very early in the first game, and you are endowed, you are given this magic, this mystic player in Gardner Minshew, who to me, Ian, has looked like a quality starter in the NFL. He's already had hit some down moments, some hiccups, namely that Saints game. But for the overwhelming majority of time, I don't understand why anyone can look at Gardner Minshew and say, hey, he doesn't give us something that, or he gives us something that Nick Foles, he, he can't offer the same thing that Gardner's showing so far. He's so good off script, and we saw that dating back to the Broncos game earlier in the season. We saw it last week. It's been all year. Like, just the guy gets outside the pocket, and defenses can't handle him because he keeps his eyes downfield. But his rushing is, like, kind of going under the radar. Like, he's, I think, literally, Lamar Jackson has more uh, – rushing yards on scrambles like and that's Gardner Minshew like he's wow. one of I think four quarterbacks over 200 rushing yards this year it's something else the defense needs to account for that Bortles also uh, brought the table to an extent but I feel like Bortles more like when he broke the pocket he, he was kind of gone you know it was I'm gonna throw or I'm gonna run Minshew actually forces the defense similar to Josh Allen like even if it's not always the most effective uh, on a play-by-play -play basis Defenses need to account for every square inch of the field with Minshew under center, which, as we've seen, opens things up for Leonard Fournette, opens things up for Chark, Westbrook. They're gelling, and I don't know how you can really put Foles back under center at this point. Foles has a $22 million cap hit next year, uh, $33 million in dead cap space if they somehow get, if they don't get rid of him or if they just cut him outright. But when you have Minshew on your own terms, on a free five-year rookie contract, like what – how could you have looked at his performance thus far and said that's not worth writing on a team-friendly deal yeah. for the next year? It is, it is insane if they go back to Foles um, after their bye in Week 11. Having said that, I think they go back to Foles in Week 11. Really, I don't. Yeah. I really don't think you. Can. I hope they don't. I really don't. I really hope they don't. I mean, I think the biggest compliment you can pay Gardner Minshew is that he has changed the entire mindset of the Jaguars in terms of what they want to do offensively. Right for the past two off seasons. It was, hey, let's add offensive line talent. Let's run Leonard Fournette into the back of our offensive line. It leads the league in routes run. For 25, run yeah, wow. for, for 25 times a game. And then let's just bank on our good defense to try to be great each and every season. Now you have Leonard Fournette, who's still getting volume, who's running more routes, though. But in those critical moments, which you have to have if you're a below-average team, and I would say that with the Jaguars, sure. you have Garner Minshew is the one that's carrying them out of those holes. You have him showing comfort in chaos. You have him, like this past weekend, being comfortable in the face of disruption and finding a real chemistry with someone who G.J. Chark, who this team drafted to be to run a straight line a quickly down the deal. field yeah. and then run block. I mean, this he has changed the scope and the dynamic of this team, and there isn't a bigger compliment you can pay to a player. DJ Chark on pace for 78 catches, 1,320 yards, and 12 touchdowns on 122 targets. This team, I think, is a little dangerous. They need, they need secondary help in a bad way. Um, Josh Allen has been great in rushing the passer, but they still need someone on the back end. And that's why I totally agree with you. But that's why, to me, they, they are a little dangerous because Josh Allen has been good. Yes. Yannick Ngakwe, they need to pay him as well so they don't run into a Jalen Ramsey-type situation. But it's a very competitive division, as we talked about. Um, and I think the Jaguars are going to be competitive maybe in 8-8, eight 9-7 and, eight, and seven season as we go along. It's the division to be competitive in. All right, the other team, right after them, Tennessee Titans at 4-4. Four and four. What a season it's already been. 
the Tennessee <laughs> Titans. And I think it can be boiled down to this. Uh, Marcus Mariota, who was selected number two overall, who this team had stood by, um, they now shifted to Ryan Tannehill. And Ian, this team has just looked better offensively with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback easily. Yeah, but I still think this has this is Derrick Henry's offense. It's Derrick Henry's team. We've seen that from day one. Only Henry, Chris Carson, Dalvin Cook, Fournette, Chubb, and McCaffrey have at least 15 touches. Another team's game this season, and I think the eruptions are about to come a lot. Like, I, I can see Henry putting together something similar as we saw last year because mm. this is what he does. He starts grinding defenses when they don't want to play anymore when it's getting cold and late in the season. For his career, he's averaged 3.87 yards per carry in September and October, 4.9 in November, 5.23 in December and 4.98 in January. So we've seen this happen his entire career. It makes sense intuitively, I think. And yeah, he's going to keep getting the ball. And I think defenses aren't going to want to tackle that monster. I, I just really think they need to instill A.J. Brown as the true number two receiver as opposed to giving Tajay Sharp. I would say the true number one wide receiver. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but the fact is Tajay Sharp is still running the fourth most routes, and it's enough to cannibalize everyone else. Um, whereas you know we've seen in the past A.J. Brown can absolutely dominate when giving a given a full role and given a full share of targets. And uh, to make your offense more explosive, especially as you continue to be middle of the road and neutral run rate, um, you have to get him involved more. One, it's a major issue that the offensive line, despite the additions in the offseason, despite first-round picks, is not good. That, mm -hmm. That'll be an issue throughout the entire season. Um, the other issue is, even though we're talking about Ryan Tannehill improving this offense, they'll still be looking for another quarterback this offseason. Um, and I, I wish, truly wish, this team had a good quarterback because they have a lot of weapons, a lot of talented weapons mm -hmm. in Corey Davis, in A.J. Brown, in I'll even throw in Adam Humphreys who they gave a contract to, in Jonu Smith. I was about to say. In, in Derrick Henry. Like, those are five names that can Young, be too. productive players, but because of either the system or the talent that's around him, offensive line and quarterback, they're just not being able to reach that potential, and it seems like we won't see any of them truly reach it until 2020. I don't want to hate on Humphreys because he's, he's a fine role player, but I think that is like still the single most perplexing overpay oh, okay. of the offseason. Like they outbid, or they were the going, Patriots. They were going to war with the Patriots for yeah. this guy, and now like this last week, he played fewer than fifty percent of snaps. He's splitting reps with Tajay Sharp. You think you think Vrabel's ego got in the way there? Like I don't had know, to beat man. his old. <laughs> Somehow the Pittsburgh Steelers are still involved in this playoff race. They're three and four. Uh, the story in going into the season was how will the Steelers fare without Antonio Brown, without Le'Veon Bell. Well, that took a quick turn early in the season to how will the Steelers fare from going from Ben Roethlisberger to Mason Rudolph and Daigle. For some reason, this team that, you know, has kind of played it safe for a very long time, mm -hmm. decided to not play it safe this year and trade a future first-round pick, this year's first-round pick, in a season without their quarterback – and to acquire a safety or a corner, a slot corner, however you want to Who's designate balling? him. Who's balling? He's balling, but this is also a team that's three and four and is kind of getting lucky that they're three and four so far. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't even care that they got back a premier defensive player, which put eight former first rounders on their defense. They shouldn't have done that at two and four, no matter who the player was, unless they somehow swindled a star quarterback away, because we knew that was going to be their issue moving forward. I'm still perplexed at how Mason Rudolph was a downfield thrower, was a gunslinger in the preseason, and then came out before that Dolphins game and averaged under four yards, air yards per attempt. He was Teddy Bridgewater. He was throwing sideline to sideline, not forward. But 
it is encouraging, and it was against the Dolphins, and it was after a bye. So perhaps they changed things. Maybe it was just the matchup. I don't know. But he averaged just under 13 air yards per attempt in that one matchup. Deontay Johnson, I texted in during the game because yeah. I was like, Deontay Johnson's really good, man. Like, really good. And if you recall from OTAs and training camp, they used him. They gave him packages in the first team. They sprinkled him in over Dante Moncrief because they knew, like, they liked him working out his issues. So if Mason Rudolph is now a downfield thrower suddenly and uh, Johnson and Juju can continue running this offense together, like, I think it is encouraging signs. Mm. However... It has to be enough to sneak them in because the defense, as we've talked about, is not the issue here. Yeah, I was late on Johnson just because his first – he had two long touchdowns early in the year that were both kind of off broken coverage, and I just – I didn't see it that much out of him. But, yeah, he looks so good. So good last week and could even even better. Rudolph missed him for a long time. And he's a, he has a rapport with Rudolph, like sure. Roethlisberger to Brown or Juju. Like, the rapport is with Deontay Johnson. The one interesting thing I found this morning uh, researching this pod is that, like, Juju is more or less the same player he was last year. He was at mm-hmm. 2.08 yards per route run last year, 2.01 this year. He's actually averaging more yards per catch, more yards per target this year. Here's the difference. 10.4 targets per game in 2018, 6.6 targets per game in 2019. Go throw your best player the ball. Well, and we thought heading into the year if he was with Ben Roethlisberger that he might lead the league in targets, and that's certainly not the case with Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. The three wins for the the Steelers so far this year against the Bengals, the Chargers, and the Dolphins. Mm -hmm. Like, those are nobodies. No. Those are basically not. We haven't even mentioned those teams yet. So that's not a good sign. Now they go and face the Colts, the Rams, the Browns twice over the next five games. It could get even worse for the Steelers, despite y'all's optimism. Okay, the Raiders are also three and four. That's a surprise to me. And in fact, they might look better at times in their three and four record might show. And a lot of it, Ian, is because of John Gruden and how he's calling this offense. Josh Jacobs looks like a top 10 running back. Darren Waller might look like a top five tight end at times this year. I think Derek Carr in many ways is the same Derek Carr, but that speaks to how well John Gruden has called games for him to put up points. Here are the teams with more yards for averaging more yards for play than the Raiders this year. The Cowboys, the Chiefs, and the Vikings. That's, That's it. it. Wow. Like Gruden's doing that good a job. And you know, shout out Derek Carr, like I, one of the quarterbacks that all Twitter has made fun of more than just about anyone. Career highs in pretty much everything. Like the guy's having a very good year. He's even throwing the ball downfield more. He was a 9.2% deep ball rate last season. He's up to 11 now. And that's when his number one stud, one of the best in the world wide receivers got yanked away from him just a week before the season. Tyrell Williams has been hurt. I mean, again, I'm giving more credit to Gruden and the play calling, I think, than Carr. But with that said, you know, Carr's been playing well. Carr has been serviceable in this offense, but it is something I would imagine that Gruden still wants to just dust his hands off in the offseason. Fair. Like uh, he, that was my next question. Yeah. He, he's, he's doing what he can with the tools he's been given, and, of course, he gave himself those tools. He, I, I guess he was handed Derek Carr from the old regime, but either way, I would imagine it's not something they want to move forward with. Yeah, it's well known that John Gruden always loves players on other teams more than players on his own team. Correct. So despite what he is doing with Derek Carr, and a lot of those vertical shots are still Derek Carr hitting his back foot and then getting rid of the football immediately, yeah. not wanting to, you know, find that big play in chaos or make plays against disruption. That's still not who Derek Carr is. But I, I do wonder if it's good enough long-term. Like, if the Raiders do make the playoffs, and again, they're in the hunt, three and four. Yep. If they do make the playoffs, I think John Gruden does stick with his quarterback. But if not, 
But we get to this point, a lot of these, and we're going to get to a lot of these teams, a lot of these teams are going to be looking at quarterbacks. And I don't know how appealing the Raiders are in that whole mindset, especially because their defense is absolutely atrocious. The Vegas Raiders, led by Jameis Winston. Oh, I could see that. Oh, my. I could actually see that. Too. <laughs> I could already see that. Uh, the Los Angeles Chargers are 3-5. and five. Uh, The Los Angeles Chargers are incredibly irrelevant at 3-5. and five. Uh, It all comes, because this is a lost year, and I can't believe I even wrote they're still in the hunt, but... Phillip Rivers, his contract is up after this year. He could be playing elsewhere, maybe Tennessee, in 2020. Um, Ian, is this era over for the L.A. Chargers? And that means it's an era and a window that they never really maximize despite having a talented roster. I'd be shocked if Rivers plays it down anywhere else. I don't know. Yeah. It seems like he's a Charger for life, uh, for better or for worse. Don't you think he's declined as well? Yeah, it hasn't been easy for him. He just didn't have his left tackle until last week. And, you know, obviously the run game hasn't done anything. But he probably he hasn't been as sharp as either. I, I do agree. It seems like the air is over. With that said, I mean, the amount of injuries they've had on defense has just been brutal. You know, going back to Durbin James before the season even started. So I don't want to put all the blame on Phil because, again, and they have had three or four Chargers games this year where, you know, you change one or two things, they win. But it's just what we've seen for, you know, pretty much almost every season except last year uh, where they did make an, a pretty decent run. So, yeah, short answer, yes, I do think the air is over. Yeah, I mean, you have to remember that Philip Rivers still lives in San Diego but takes a limo up to L.A. to practice every day while reading over his playbook in the car. Um, you can, he doesn't have access to do that anywhere else. So I would never, ever consider him playing anywhere else. Hmm. I always look, think back to – the story prior to Marcus Mariota's draft of the Chargers being extremely interested and intrigued by Marcus Mariota. They worked him out. I believe they brought him in for a visit. We know that Marcus Mariota will be playing elsewhere in 2020, so it wouldn't be a surprise. Maybe Philip Rivers continues playing there, but Marcus Mariota is brought in as that heir apparent. But that's not, that's not saying too much because right. we don't really just, know where Marcus Mariota's career goes. It just sucks because the this. whole Melvin Gordon thing, it's not his fault. Melvin Gordon was good, but Melvin Gordon won't be good the rest of the year because he didn't get that training camp in. Like, he had to bang himself into shape, basically. That came out wrong, and he just has been. That's why he's been bad because he's that kind of like guy that hits, and he hasn't been able to bounce off tacklers. He's just not warmed up for the season, and you can tell. Well, and no matter what, this team just deals with injuries at the rate more than anyone else in the league. But that's their staff, right? That's it's not, wild. Yeah, that's not luck. Uh, no, at and this you, had, point. you had Forrest Lamp, you had Melvin Ingram, yeah. you had Derwin James prior that's to the your season. Own so Joey Bosa at times, like medical staff's it, fault. It is absolutely wild. Uh, okay, the last team that I still consider still in it, I would like to hear if you guys believe they're still in it. Waiting for the graphic to pop up. The Cleveland Browns. <sighs> at two oh, and five, okay. three games below 500. I mean, I thought three wins was going to be my cutoff point, but I felt like I was so compared <sighs> or compelled to throw the Browns in here. Ian, was I wrong to include them in this group? Are they completely out of it? I think they're out of it. I do. It hurts to say, but I do think they're out of it. I don't know. They just got, you know, they got Ward and Greedy back. Their defense, even without their starting cornerbacks, was, I think, playing better than uh, we should have expected. But I, I just don't know what's going to turn this offense around at this point. I mean, we saw them come out of the bye week, and I don't think anything Baker did against, obviously, brutal, worst matchup possible against the Patriots. I get that. But still, like, this is, I mean, you know, we, every time I, I watch a, like, Thursday night game, they show that Baker pass yet against the Titans last year where he rolled out, and, you know, th they're going over the next-gen stats about how insane of a throw. Like, wh what happened to that guy? What happened to Baker, you know, extending plays, making balls downfield? OBJ had a more – had a higher percentage of catchable deep balls with Eli Manning last year than Baker this year. I mean, it is – he has truly played as one of the ten 
five worst quarterbacks in the league, and I don't know how it's going to change. It has to be revamped in the offseason. Not the team as a whole, but the coaching staff. It's He's just not getting any help. Like, so Freddie Kitchens is in over his head. Absolutely, yeah. And I wouldn't have said that before the season. I actually thought it was quite uh, charming to have a humble coach who just like kind of was in over his head to beginning. But the play calling last year was very good. The play calling this year has not helped Baker whatsoever. Still 31st among all starters in completion percentage under pressure. And the issue is he's under pressure at a, a top half rate in the league. Like that offensive line has been terrible. And we knew that was their weakness coming in. But he's not getting any help in the play calling. Shorter routes, uh, more running the ball. Despite the fact that Nick Chubb has been incredible. Um, even with all the turmoil around him. Playing devil's advocate here. Do you think, because they've played seven games, do you think that this team has enough individual talent? Let's say if the other pieces, because we see this in other teams, the other pieces that aren't doing well so far, namely the coaching, namely the offensive line, if they can put it together, could you see this team winning seven games in the second half of the season, eight games in the second half of the season? You saying this because they have an awesome second no, half schedule? No, they don't. <laughs> no, they don't. And they're on a three-game losing streak, the 49ers, the Seahawks, and the Patriots. They do have the Broncos, the Bills, the Steelers, and the Dolphins. I mean... I don't know. Like, it's so difficult for me. And maybe this is just my own bias. And this just signifies how important offensive line talent, coaching talent is. Because there's Odo Beckham. There's Nick Chubb. Yep. There's Miles Garrett. There's Larry Okunjobi. There's other really, really talented Olivier pieces. Olivia Vernon. Just keep on going. There's uh -huh. talented Denzel pieces Ward, like, on this team. Yeah, of Individual talents. The coaching. That coming together as a team is just not working. And I feel like at some point this season it will happen, but so far through seven games it has not. And they have a sweet stadium on the water. Like you can't let that go to waste either. <laughs> like ever, all the pieces should match up, and it's not. And so the fall guy should be at the very top, and it's not going to be. So they're going to get rid of some some uh, like positional coaches in the off season, think it's going to fix everything, and it's just not going to. Yeah, offensive line was biggest thing I think you said. All right, the teams that are out of it, we don't have to spend too much time. No offense to these teams. As we go along, uh, the Denver Broncos, let's look at that list, by the way. Uh, the Denver Broncos are 2-6, and six, the Jets are 1-6, and six, the Dolphins are 0-7, and, and the Bengals are 0-8. Let's start off with the Broncos. I mean, the one-liner here is it's Vic Fangio's first year. The Brand defense has started really slow, but the defense has come along. Uh, despite Bradley Chubb being out for the year, they traded Emmanuel Sanders. Turmoil on this Broncos front, and now Joe Flacco is no longer the starter at quarterback. I got a question. Is our Von Miller's days as a truly game-changing defensive talent over? Because he's on pace to do career lows in sacks, career lows in hits. He's going to be 31 this offseason. This will be his ninth season. That's the amount of time DeMarcus Ware spent in Dallas before he became more of a just situation, not situational, but more of a pass rushing specialist. I'm not saying he's done, but like the days of discussing Von Miller among like Aaron Donald and the truly best defensive lineman might be over. Before we find that out, I think that Von Miller, and maybe this is just me imparting this on him, he should look at a different team. He should be one of these players that says, hey, this is an awful situation we're in with John Elway, who was one of the generational talents at quarterback that could succeed in any era and because of his play. GM. And is being, despite listening to this podcast, he has been awful at finding mm -hmm. quarterbacks. Awful at finding quarterbacks. And nothing has gone on and progressed in that area that you think, hey, this is going to change. Von Miller should be that next player that says, 
I want out of here. I want to go to an actual legitimate situation and win. Von Miller reminds Despite winning with the Broncos previously. Yeah, yeah but I, I genuinely think it was just play calling again. Uh, Vic Fangio, who this defense struggled through that first four, five that games the first month of the season. Um, it was the defense as a whole, and I think it came down to Fangio's uh, defensive play calling. And I think something, there's no proof of this, but I think it had something to do with him previously calling in an all-22 look over the top of the field as opposed to being on-field level mm -hmm. and then calling from there. Um, Von Miller just reminds me of that guy who gets paid wherever he may go, and then he just resurges. And it's like, oh, yeah, we forgot. Von Miller didn't lose anything. He was strapped. That's fair. And Cortland Sutton, big second-year breakout. It would not be surprising, as you guys are alluding to, if Vic Fangio is not the coach of this team in 2020. It's, it's a shame, too, because a true second-year breakout who's now most likely going to tank the rest of the year right. with Brandon Allen and eventually Drew Locke under center. And Brett Ripien. I don't know if he makes it on the field. All right, New York Jets 1-6. Um, oh, my gosh. There's I mean, another shame. Ta the talking, shame. <laughs> talking about the optimism ahead of the season, it was the Cleveland Browns, and then it was the Jets based on preseason success, something to keep in mind next August, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the number of reports of Le'Veon Bell possibly getting dealt at the trade deadline after just signing, uh, they traded Leonard Williams. The Jamal Adams relationship could get very rocky this offseason. Sam Darnold has found no consistency in a shortened season because of Mono. This all leads to, with Joe Douglas, now general manager, and he's not going anywhere, to Adam Gase, a la Freddie Kitchens, being way over in his head. Yeah, the whole Le'Veon thing just sucks with me. I was so excited to watch him get back this year. And he, like, I know he's not putting up the numbers at all. His efficiency has been awful, but he's still PFS number nine running back and elusive rating, and we've seen that all year. Like, with nothing there, Le'Veon's breaking multiple tackles. He's finding a way to get, you know, three or four yards. Obviously, it's not been enough to win games. It's a running back position. You can say that as a whole, but just one, I don't know, one of the most fun playmakers to watch over the last few years has been, unfortunately, uh, declawed by Adam Gase. And it's not just him. Robbie Anderson declawed as well. And, yes, the receivers had Luke Falk for a little while there, who the Jets just outright cut the moment right he wasn't playing anymore. So that tells you everything they need to know. But, uh, but yeah, it's just the entire offense. We knew they were coming in to this season, their weakness being their cornerback's room. But we thought their defensive line was so strong it would get it through. And their defensive line has played well. But it's just been overshadowed by everything else. The play calling to the offense, Adam Gase, it's all his fault. But uh, – but everything else has been terrible around that defensive line. Terrible. was playing well before they shipped Leonard Williams sure, to their yeah. friends. As it stands right now, the, the coaching staff just cannot stay. It's that simple. They haven't elevated anyone on that team. And, in fact, as you said, they declawed some players, which is not the um, projection that you want mm -hmm. to happen with your coaching staff. All right, the Dolphins are 0-7. We knew this team was going to absolutely suck. <laughs> yeah. They are tanking. Um, and rightfully so. But they're doing it smartly. Yeah. They're Absolutely. doing it smartly. They have their first-round pick. They have the Steelers' first-round pick. They have the Houston Texans' first-round pick. They have their own second-round pick. And they have the Saints' second-round pick. The only question, if this team does go 0-16, is Brian Flores still the coach in 2020? It seems like they have, like, yes, I think so. I think he's there for three years. I think they re realize this is what you need to do. They're, make, they're making, like, basketball-type moves. I mean, that Aqib Tlaib trade just – taking on the salary for a fifth-round pick. Like, he's not going to play a snap in Miami, and that's fine. You know, this is something they need to do right now. They're not going to make the playoffs this year. They know that. No. I'm excited to see where Devontae Parker plays next year, though. Of course. I'll say that. Of course you are. <laughs> um, are there any bright spots on this team? Yeah, that they're, they're going to get Chase Young. That's pretty exciting. Are there any, but, <laughs> but other than on that, the current you know. roster, are there any bright spots? I don't think that – I mean, Xavier Howard. Now, Xavier Howard, who we knew he was sticking with the team the moment they shut him down and but put that's him on it. IR. Yeah. I've seen the smallest bit of optimism around Mike Jacecki. Okay. 
He'll be great uh, in the second team. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I even have nothing to say. It, it's just Brian. So Flores, this is this is actually my question now. I had to find it there in my brain for a second. Uh, Brian Flores, he knows though. Like, he approved of the tanking, right? Like, he is part of the well, mastermind plan. Because I've heard people say also that, like, I just feel bad for him. It's like, wait, he's the one who helped out? Because that was the whole point behind the Astros tanking as well, is that they hired a coach who knew what was going on. But at the same time, I don't think Brian Flores is going out there every Sunday and saying, hey, I want to lose this game, right? No. I think they are still trying their best on the field, just from a management, roster construction, acquiring assets standpoint this is a team that is looking towards the future and not 2019 so i mean i don't think brian flores is show is faking it whenever he's showing frustration on the sideline right, of course he's still calling plays to win but they are just putting him in a position probably because he knows about the big picture and there are only 32 of these teams across the league 32 of these jobs that he knows it's an unwinnable situation i i cannot imagine him not being the mastermind with the front office with all of this happening. And they like, still play hard in moments, you yeah. know? And, 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 you know, that's a credit and to And he them. still had an impact, um, but, you know, they've just been injured. They're just a bad team all around. They have no talent because they're trying to get talent. Like, I would assume he keeps his job for the next three, four years. So the sure. Dolphins are 0-7. They are purposefully 0-7. The Bengals are 0-8, and I can't say the Not same thing. Not purposely 0-8. About I think them they're good. At all. Are they the worst team in the NFL? I mean, oh. Andy Dalton was just benched for Ryan Finley, who was a middling quarterback at NC State, yeah. basically, and they just want to see what they have in Ryan Finley. That's an end of an era. It really is with Cincinnati because Andy Dalton has been the starting quarterback since the 2011 draft with A.J. Green when they were drafted together. Um, again, I, I question if this is actually the worst team in the NFL because they had that first half against the Seahawks and nothing else since. Yeah, I don't know. I was looking at the point differential, and the Dolphins are at minus 161. The next closest team is the Jets at minus 107. But if we want to go on, like, who's playing the worst right now and moving the second half, it could be the Bengals. I mean, my, my biggest issue with them is, like, what is wrong with Joe Mixon? Why do you, are you not featuring your best offensive playmaker, especially with A.J. Green out? I mean, last year he played 65% of the offensive snaps in 11 of 14 games. This year, zero games. Look, like, it's not – it'd be one thing if they're using Giovanni Bernard and, like, really kind of using him in different ways to move the offense. But Giovanni Bernard's just going into pass block pretty much, and they're just leaving Mixon on the sideline. So they're not even using their talents right. And it's – you know, we saw what LaFleur's done in Green Bay and kind of building a, a, that kind of relationship. But it's been the exact opposite and since he was Zach Taylor. You looked at their point differential. You should have looked at their rushing differential, which is a lot of fun. Uh, the Bengals have rushed for 476 yards. They have allowed – 1,421 yards, <laughs> nearly a 1,000 oh yard rushing difference. Um, everything this team thought they did correct, they thought they could mask their offensive line via the play action, and they used it for the first few weeks, but now they rank 25th overall um, in play action among all quarterbacks and, and offenses. It's just nothing is done correctly. Ryan Finley, the highlight would be if they go back to more play action, he was – 20th in the nation last year in play completion percentage from play action. But either way, it's a lost year. And we talked about this for the pod. To me, it just seems uh, ignorant has too much of a negative connotation. But it's just it's bad if A.J. Green comes back this year because I would imagine he doesn't make an extra cent whether he plays the rest of the year or just sits out the rest of the year. Not an extra cent. Big picture. I don't know if the Bengals can ever be good. Like the planets have to That's align. Fair too. <laughs> just because of the management, the ownership, the – 
It's just a different run organization than the rest of this league. And the planets did align with Carson Palmer and at times with Andy Dalton. Right, but I I don't know moving forward with how the rest of the league is looking at the NFL versus how the Bengals look at the NFL, if they can actually be legitimately good. Um, Palmer's ACL is an analogy for this franchise. It went sideways, they went sideways. Before we move to the NFC side of this, when we start talking about good teams, I do want to remind you that your fantasy season can still be saved by going and checking out RotoWorld's premium products if you go to rotoworld.com slash win or rotoworld.com slash gfs and use promo code nfl50 it's now 50 percent off Dave. Well, not just 30 percent off, off read that correctly it's 50 percent off if you want extra content from ian if you want extra content from daigle then go to rotoworld.com slash win or rotoworld.com slash gfs and buy our premium products using promo code nfl50 50 percent just like this podcast how much is done now Oh, look at you, Daigle. Maybe we should switch so, chairs. Uh, so pit pause. Feel free to do that. Grab a cup of coffee or whatever because we have an entire conference to talk about. Now. Or beer. I don't know. Or Why not? Beer. I was All trying right. to be family friendly. <laughs> Let's look at the full screen of the NFC playoff picture. The one seed right now are the San Francisco 49ers sitting there at 7-0. and I'll hold my hand up. I'll hold my hand up and say heading into the season, I questioned even at the end of the year – if John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan would both be involved with the 49ers. But guess what has clicked? What has clicked is Kyle Shanahan's offense with a healthy quarterback, even if he's not the reason why. What has also clicked is how many first-round picks on the defensive side of the ball have now formed into this ridiculous monster of a defense. I'm talking about Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, Ark Armstead, Solomon Thomas at times, D. Ford was traded for in the offseason, plus a veteran secondary is wrapping that whole picture. We shouldn't overlook that secondary either. Yeah, and they added Quan Alexander, too, who's been one of the better off-ball linebackers in the entire league. You know, I think going into the season, we were like, okay, they added these nice pieces, the front seven. Like, the feature's looking bright in San Francisco. Get Jimmy G back. He, uh, him and Shanahan had looked good before. I don't think any of us saw 7-0 and coming and arguably, you know, the number one contender of the Patriots. Uh, just, just can you know, if we want to put the Chiefs there, I get that. But well, and arguably the most entertaining team in the NFL, Dave. Yeah. A lot of fun, yes, and it is on their defense. Those front four defenders, all Pro Bowlers at the moment. Um, they've been absolutely incredible. Not just Defensive Rookie of the Year and Nick Bosa, but um, Defensive Player of the Year so far through seven games, eight games. Yeah, I mean everything has clicked. It was interesting because I think it was CG Gaming uh, Monday that released a fake line. Patriots minus three and a half right now over the Niners on a neutral field if they happen to run into each other. I want, I want to see that matchup so badly. I, I think we all do. That's why they released a I fake I want line. to see that matchup so badly because I want to see what Bill Belichick schemes up defensively knowing who Jimmy Garoppolo is, mm-hmm. but also Kyle Shanahan, who has faced this Bill Belichick yeah. defense before, did very well and needed a gigantic, massive collapse to lose that Super Bowl with the Atlanta Falcons against the New England Patriots. I want to see that matchup so badly, but what Kyle Shanahan is doing, we saw it against the Panthers, and the Panthers' defense is no Patriots' defense. Mm -hmm. But how we can just open up these gaping lanes that even Daigle would have seven yards on, (laughs) even I would have five yards on. I'm athletic. It's unreal what Kyle Shanahan is doing as a play caller. I think he is easily the best play caller in the NFL right now. Would you rather have Jimmy Garoppolo or Jared Goff for the next five years? The, the silence, I mean, I think tells you everything because one but just got 120 million guaranteed. It, it does. It, it's a very fair question, but I also think both have the same concerns. Yeah, right. They're similar. 
They are, because right now, despite having tackles who have been injured, Jimmy Garoppolo has been a situation to succeed all year long. I think in a perfect situation, I think Jared Goff is a better passer. Mm -hmm. But for this offense right now, certainly Jimmy G is, is working, but working to the point of just nine touchdowns to seven interceptions. It's close. I mean, if you look at his adjusted yards per attempt, he's right along there with Goff, with Carson Wentz, with Case Keenum. Uh, I think Wentz is a little bit above those guys, but a lot above. Yeah. Well, eh. we'll talk about him. Not moment. not so much. If he has a deep threat, uh, he's a lot above. But um, yeah. I mean, the, the big thing with Jimmy G, he's not going to win you the game, and he hasn't had to win him the game so far. So it will be exciting when he's in a situation where we need to see him. Do but that. at some point, he will. Yeah. Like in some point, there will have to be three series in a row where he carries this team. And can you do it in that moment? And we don't have that answer right now, even if you're the biggest Jimmy G fan. And in the last month of the season, Tevin Coleman, since he's been back from injury, um, has played only 50% of their snaps. Like, Breida is still a factor on 31% of their snaps in that span. Yes, he's been in and out of the lineup the past two games injured. He may not play this Thursday against the Cardinals. But either way, like, this is still a essentially a two-headed committee, um, and they have no fear in getting Mostert involved off the bench if one of them goes down, because Mostert, every time he walks in, is effective as well. Yep. And what really stands out to me is they've already overcome so many offensive injuries. Tevin Coleman, Joe Staley, Mike McGlinchey. Yep. It's possible. Check. It's, yeah, it's possible this team only gets better as the season goes along. If only OBJ had gone to San Fran instead of Cleveland. Fun. All right, the New Orleans Saints are the current two seed in the NFC, 7-1 and one right now. Speaking of overcoming injuries, this team has overcome the injury to Drew Brees with Teddy Bridgewater going undefeated as the starting quarterback. Alvin Kamara. Mm -hmm. left and Latavius Murray has been outstanding out, out of that backfield um, they have 30 plus points in five games this season their offensive DVOA is six defensive DVOA is six this is going to be a difficult out for anyone in the NFC for anyone in the AFC Michael Thomas best wide receiver in the league I think we gotta give it so? to him at this point because he just went from a first ballot future Hall of Famer to Teddy freaking Bridgewater and did not miss a beat the big knock on Michael Thomas is that he's more of an underneath receiver. His average target depth is around there with guys like Cole Beasley, not guys like Julio. But I don't think that means he can't do it downfield. He's caught all – he's only had four passes thrown to him over 20 yards this season. He's caught all four. We've seen Patrick Peterson try to track him. Did not work out well at all. Like, okay, if the guy's only running underneath, well, no one can cover the guy underneath. So that's not really his problem. Why are you going to force balls downfield when there's easier completions to be had? So – I mean, the knocks on Michael Thomas at this point pretty much come down to his four-reception, 36-yard game against the Rams last year in the NFC Championship where the entire defense was pretty much focused on him and they allowed Alvin Kamara to get loose. So, you know, uh, can't guard Mike, hmm. and we've seen that all season. Uh, Travis Kelsey, Kelsey, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Alvin Kamara, what do they have, all have in common? Uh, all in the same draft? They no, have, they weren't. Travis Kelsey was not in that draft. They like, all have fewer receiving touchdowns than Taysom Hill himself. Because <laughs> Taysom Hill has three receiving touchdowns. Wow. Because Sean Payton is just having fun now. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I was wrong. You were correct, actually. And mark that or save it forever because it's the only time I'm ever going to say that. Whenever Teddy Bridgewater got under center, he wasn't good, by the way. Because I was right about that part. But the fact is, you said it would instill energy into Sean Payton because he could then, like, take over the offense for a change and make it something new. Be creative. And that's exactly what he did. Yeah. For fantasy, though, moving forward, I do think Latavius Murray showed enough, not only showcased the past two games without Kamara, but also was expected to, anyways, play over 40% of the snaps. Um, and it doesn't matter. Kamara was still a safe top five pick no matter what, if you assumed he played 60% of the snaps because he was that explosive. But now I do think 
He had to play because Teddy Bridgewater is under center and he was one of their two playmakers without Drew Brees on the field. They scale him back now because an injury happened and now we get Latavius Murray involved. It's a flex play the rest of the year. So, like I said, Saints are 7-1. and one. Their one loss was week two. You remember that? It was to the Los Angeles Rams away. That's actually when Drew Brees got hurt, left before halftime. Teddy Bridgewater was thrown in. That was a awful, awful game. Um, but coming up, I mean, it's not like this Saints schedule gets more difficult. Over the two of the next four games are the Falcons. Twice. <laughs> I Ooh. think that tells you everything you need to know. The <laughs> game that should be circled in everyone's calendar, December 8th. San Francisco 49ers. Oh, okay. So that could decide. In New Orleans or San Fran? It's in New Orleans. Ooh. It could dictate who has the number one seed in the NFC. That's an interesting one. That contest. All right, let's keep it going. The three seed, also 7-1. and one. The NFC is freaking loaded yep. this year. Mm-hmm. The Green Bay Packers. Every year. Um, if the Packers, Daigle, have already gone through their most difficult part of the season in those first couple weeks, then this is a frightening, scary team. They are clicking offensively now. <laughs> so to think they weren't clicking before this, and now suddenly they're all in line and in tune with one another, that is the scariest part. And remember, they've done this the past month without Devontae Adams, with uh, Alan Lazard suddenly surgence as the number one receiver. And with, with Devontae Adams likely coming back in week nine, I would just imagine they slide Lazard to the outside, kicking MBS out of the lineup, and just move Geronimo Allison to the slot and just move forward as if nothing happened. Interesting. Yeah, MVS versus Lazard is definitely the uh, question there. And MVS, with all healthy the past two weeks, has played the fewest snaps among all of them. Yeah. So, after the first two weeks, they couldn't move the ball that well against the Vikings and the Bears. But the one takeaway we have is this defense is legit now. And the offense has fixed itself. Defense is still legit, and specifically against the pass. You know, I mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but you you got to be a strong pass defense. If you're a good run defense, you're you're probably not that good of an overall defense if you struggle against the pass. They added Preston William, or Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, Smith. Mm -hmm. Yair Alexander, Kevin King. I know Amari Cooper got the best of them, but most human receivers have not gotten the best of them. Like this defense is built to be awesome in 2019. We've seen Aaron Rodgers, you know, last five years, he has not been playing at an elite level. And now all of a sudden he's back to just the world beater level we saw from like 2009, 2013. So yeah, I mean, this Packers team can beat anyone in the league right now. I totally agree. I think this is the roster that they can really do it. It's a complete roster. And speaking about defensive backs and defensive players, Darnell Savage has missed time. And when he's in the lineup, he adds this versatile piece that can match up against tight ends. He can match up against slot receivers. He can be a blitzer. He can do all these things. He flies around the field. Um, and I don't want to overlook this offensive line either yeah. because the offensive line is allowing Aaron Rodgers to play inside of structure. And then we know that Aaron Rodgers has magic outside of structure too. Like the throws he was making against the Chiefs that were like fall away three-pointers that were basically handing the football to a receiver along the sideline 35 yards. Ludicrous. Just ludicrous stuff over the top of defensive backs. Bucket. I mean, it was ridiculous things. It was a Jamal Williams one, man. I literally looked away. I saw the pass release. I go, throw away. No problem. I'm going to look at my phone. And How'd they score? Like, what happened? He, he is on another level right now. and it's He's again, back to being on another. He was always on yes. another level, but then it tanked away for a little bit. There. And most importantly, it's not just on these broken plays where he has to have his magic. It's also plays that are inside of structure, like those Aaron Jones vertical shots against linebackers. It's all it's all working. It's all clicking. This past week, Aaron Jones recorded 127 receiving yards from out wide, which is the most since NFL next gen stats had been tracking the past 20 years. Like they are using Aaron Jones as this 
a healthy version of Todd Gurley, not last year's or this year's version of Todd Gurley. Um, they're just doing everything right, and I would only imagine it gets better now that they're all in sync. Yeah, this will change once Devontae Adams gets back, obviously, but Aaron Jones, only running back in the league that leads their team in targets right now. Hmm. Dallas Cowboys are the current four seed at four and three. I still fully believe in this team offensively. Um, yeah. There were a couple down moments where it yep. seemed like Jason Garrett's fingerprints were a little too you know, notice he wasn't wearing gloves yep. on this offense, um, but I'm I'm back on board completely. I even love that they tried to make that splash move for Jamal Adams in the trade window, which would have been a difference maker, yeah. too, because like, they are missing that safety piece. And it made a difference last year when it happened for Amari Cooper. The losses are to the Packers, the losses are to the Saints, and then that odd one to the Jets. I mean, Ian, I, I feel like I love this Cowboys team a little more than you do. Well, aren't I, you a Cowboys fan? Yeah, you know, but. He's still unbiased, though. Every game that they've lost, and this has gone back to Dak's worst stretch of his career in 2017, like, it's just their offensive line. The offensive line is still the engine of this team. And when they've been healthy this year, they've been absolutely amazing. They are number three in adjusted line yards per rush, number six in adjusted sack rate. Like, statistically, this is the best offensive line they've had since 2014 when Dez caught it. And look, Dak, last year, the <laughs> biggest problem, he took 56 sacks last year. This year, 10 in seven games. So, what, what, what was wrong in that Jets game? Tyron Smith and Lel Collins were out. Yep. Packers, both those guys were banged up. The Saints game, that was just weird. But as long as the O-line is healthy, these guys can beat anyone in the league. Uh, Prescott and the Cowboys offense have run the 13 most play action um, offense, and yet Prescott is still averaged over nine yards per attempt from play action, and he has the third highest completion rate. If they do not run it more over the second half of the season, it is truly a disgrace to this offense. The Cowboys linebackers, who were some of the biggest names in the NFL, and Jalen Smith and yep. Leighton Vanderish, haven't really emerged in that second year together as they seemingly did last year. Um, they added Michael Bennett mm -hmm. probably as like a sub-pass rusher up front. Uh, Robert Quinn, Demarcus Lawrence have had their moments this year. Looking at this Cowboys schedule, they will be tested. They will be tested throughout this year. They play the Vikings on November 10th. They play the Patriots on November 24th. They play the Rams um, on and one December of the toughest 15th. schedules remaining in the year, yeah. So it's it's something where if this team does make the playoffs, I don't know if it can be because they already have three losses as a top two seed. And then if they do make the playoffs, then they will be battle tested uh, once they get once they get there. All right, first wild card team at six and two are the Seattle Seahawks, currently the five seed. Uh, Dago, I say it every week. This is one of the best offenses in the NFL and up and down, being kind defenses in the NFL. I mean, so it That's was being still, very kind. It was, yeah, it was being very kind. I mean, Matt Schaub came off the bench and threw for 460 yards. And it was in guard, a lot of his in garment time. I'm a nice guy. I understand, but still, it's very bad. Uh, but the fact is, when you still have a potential MVP candidate, it raises all. And we've seen, it's funny because we've seen, they have no issues handcuffing Russell Wilson. Like this past week against the Falcons, only 20 pass attempts. That, uh, that lead they mounted against the Cardinals in week four, only 28 pass attempts. Like they'll, they'll just scale Russ back if they need to. But in competitive game script, which could even be this week against the Bucks, who knows, um, then yes, Russ is, has looked like an MVP and will continue to do so. And that's what keeps the Seahawks afloat. DK Metcalf has been a fun new addition to mm -hmm. this offense. Like they haven't had someone with that size and field stretching. 
ability in these recent years, but how about Tyler Lockett just, Good. again, being the, the most, most efficient receiver, most efficient combo in the league? Russ Wilson last year, they had the 158.3, literally perfect quarterback rating, and everyone said, look, guys, that cannot persist. It will not happen again. Yeah, it, it didn't. Now it's only 140 quarterback rating, <laughs> like the third best mark in the league. Regression. So yeah. it's, it's just insane. Like, they're playing backyard football out there. It continues to work, and I love every second of it. Yeah. Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett's constant chemistry. Chris Carson is an absolute mauler of yeah. a runner. I'm so glad that he is the true feature back in this offense. And you mentioned DK Metcalf went from running solely one or two routes on the left side to their adding new wrinkles each and every week. And I think that can continue in the final eight games. They did just lose their center in Justin Britt for the rest of the season uh, with a torn ACL. Um, but it all goes back to me and ultimately in the end with the defense. It's a huge question. I mean, it's allowed close games to the Bengals this year. It's allowed close games to the Steelers this year. You can't have that if you're going to be one of the best teams in the NFL. Um, and I, I just fear that that's really what's going to hold back an MVP and one of the best offenses in the league versus this destruction of a defense. I mean, it's really changed completely in just a small amount of time. I know they probably won't, but I would love to see if they could give Shaq Griffin a chance to kind of travel with number one receivers. He's, he, he's played really well. He's played really well, but, you know, that's just the Seahawks thing. When they had Sherman in his prime, he stuck to his side of the field. It's, it's the Seahawks' way. It's what they do. But when you only have one really good cornerback, maybe consider changing. Even their linebackers have played well, but, you know, who knows. Okay, yeah. the sixth seed right now, again, wild card spot, are the Minnesota Vikings at 6-2. and two. Up and down season for the Vikings. I mean, where to even begin with this? They're on four straight wins. Kirk Cousins is on fire. Prior to those four straight wins, it was basically a Get possible, like, the straw almost broke the camel's back. I mean, there were team meetings. There were public apologies. Stefan Diggs, Adam Thielen, you could tell they weren't gelling with their quarterback. Mm -hmm. That has all changed completely. Daigle, what did change? It was the play action is what changed. Like, they finally instilled it, and uh, he's been a top three passer from play action these last four games. Stephon Diggs has been terrific the past month of the season, and again, he was also someone that they were, oh, get out of town. Like, uh, clearly Stephon Diggs isn't good anymore. He was always good. He was always there. He was not being instilled properly, and the fact is him and Thielen have been tremendous, and Kirk Cousins has been one of the best quarterbacks in the last three, four games. Diggs has been, like, out of this world good yeah. this season. I mean, I, his yards per route run right now is at 3.54. I had to go back to 2008 to find Steve Smith. That's the last time a wide receiver has matched that. So, pretty uh, ridiculous. But, yeah, look, they, they lost to the uh, Packers and they lost to the Bears. They have won every single game by multiple scores. I mean, when this team's clicking, they are scary because the defense, once again, a very, very good unit. And, yeah, when Kirk Cousins is hitting his play action bombs, no one can stop Dalvin Cook. So that's really all you need. And Dalvin is playing at an unreal rate. You know, I had Eric Sutter talk to me prior to the season, and he said that, you know, under Gary Kubiak's watch, vision, that Dalvin Cook could have a Clinton Portis-type season. He might be playing even better than that. Like, he, the way he is making people miss at the second level, getting to the second level, getting to the sideline, creating these big plays, it's unreal. And this is a super talented team. Even defensively, Danelle Hunter, Everson Griffin, Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks, Harrison Smith. The corners have let them down a little bit, but this team is one that, if they get into the playoffs, can really make some noise, I think, once they reach the playoffs. 100% agree. Yeah, and it's almost like that's what's interesting about this offense and the Packers because it, it, they spent the first month 
um, integrating and developing their offense, and they kind of broke out and became these strong offenses. And then over the last four weeks, it's been uh, Kirk who's ran the most play action among all quarterbacks. Um, nearly a perfect rating, by the way, despite throwing so much. 157.1 quarterback rating from play action. And so now that Dalvin Cook now has been integrated, they, they had a top three um, neutral run rate for those first four weeks as well. Now it's everyone getting involved. Did, did you see Zimmer's comments after they had that failed fourth down conversion in their own end of the field? That he wouldn't do it again? He said it was the worst decision I've ever made. Yeah. I mean, coaching is still bad. You know, the maniacal portion of Josh here would hope and kind of wish for the storyline that once we get to the playoffs, they have this fourth down that with like three minutes left and they might go for it on like fourth and two, elect not to, then never get the football back. And then that is Mike Zimmer coming back to bite Mike Zimmer and not wanting to be aggressive in those situations because you lost it out of nowhere early in the year. That could happen. I, I can see that. And it's <laughs> That's not, a vision. It's not funny in the way, like, Belichick comes out and says, oh, Andrew Luck retired. Like, I don't – I wish him luck. I didn't see that. Uh, it's funny in the way that Zimmer really means that. It's he like, oh, really no, that's it. terrible. Those are the six teams in the playoffs right now for the NFC. Let's look at the teams that are currently in the playoff race. Start off with the Los Angeles Rams, last year Super, Super Bowl contender from the NFC, currently at 5-3. and three. Lots of roster turnover this season. Marcus Peters gone. Akib Tlaib gone. Offensive line changes. They've brought in Jalen Ramsey. They're trying to fix that offensive line on, mm -hmm. a, on the fly. Ian, what's your view of the Rams right now at 5-3 and three, halfway through the season? It's a completely different team than what we've seen in the past. I mean, usually it's been an insanely efficient offense, and their defense at least has enough playmakers to kind of keep everything tight. I just don't know that this group has the ceiling to really compete in the playoffs if they're going to make it there because – Goff has been worse in just about every metric, and you don't have to dig all that far to figure out why. He's facing more pressure. He's not able to throw the ball as deep because of that, so defenses can crunch the box, and the run game has been less effective. Why is the run game? Why is all that happening? Because the offensive line's not as good. So right. I don't think they're really solvable problems. We're just, you know, we, we started to see last week McVay, that wild double reverse past the cup. Like, he's going to do everything as can, he can to uh, keep the team going. Daryl Henderson – Diggles guy has provided a, a nice spark uh, to this point, but I'm just not convinced that the ceiling on this Rams team is anywhere close to what we saw the last two years. Well, it's just weird because this team, and McVay said this, but it wasn't just coach speak. This, tree, this team truly does lack an identity. I don't know what this team is still to this day. Um, they are surviving on Cooper Cup's 28% target share post-ACL, remind you. Like, this dude tore his ACL and then came back as one of the best receivers in the league. But he has truly been their only playmaker. Um, Gurley limited with the arthritis. Robert Woods kind of a no-show because they don't know how to get him involved. Brandon Cook's um, another concussion. Don't Gerald, see a specialist. And Gerald Everett has been very inconsistent despite being used heavily. It's like they truly do lack an identity, and you can't depend on anyone fantasy-wise outside of Cooper Cup. It's just an imperfect situation now. And so far through eight games, in those imperfect situations, they haven't had the same success last year in the last two seasons of perfect situations. The running game is not as easy as it once was. Like you mentioned, nope. Jared Goff is not someone who wins outside of structure. That is going to have to change for them to win. And I don't think it can change for them to win. Do they even make the playoffs? I mean, they're 5-3. and three. They're on the cusp of it. I think they do ultimately in the play yes. make the playoffs because it's a very talented roster. But I think that the last two games against very easy teams and the Bengals and the Falcons do warp some people's opinions of how flawed this team is right now. It yeah. truly is flawed.
And, and I don't know what the defense is over the next half of the season. Like, yes, they got Jalen Ramsey. That certainly helps. But what else are they going to do? Like, we need Clay Matthews back on the field. They need, they need so, much, so many other things to happen. The defense is the only part of the team I feel, like, truly confident in saying that they are mm -hmm. pretty dang good. Like, Donald, Donald obviously, Ramsey, we know yeah. them. But Dante Fowler and Corey Littleton, too, I think deserve to be mentioned. I believe in the defense more than the offense. That's, right oh, okay, that's absolutely. Fair. I don't Wild. think it's close. All right, Pan the Panthers are next up at 4-3. and three. Another roller coaster of a season. I mean, it's, it's wild that we're only halfway through the year and so much has happened. Uh, we know that Cam Newton left after that Week 2 loss on Thursday Night Football to the Tampa Bay Bucks. In steps Kyle Allen, who goes 4-1 and one as a starter. Again, the Panthers are now 4-3. and three. Um, Kyle Allen just got demolished by the San Francisco 49ers, yet Cam Newton's still not healthy, so we get to see Kyle Allen again. The story of the season so far for the Panthers has been Christian McCaffrey, and now he's able to be incredible despite a less than credible situation. Here's the guys in NFL history with more points per reception per game in a season than McCaffrey this year. 2000 and 2001, Marshall Falk, 2002, Priest Holmes, 2006, LaDainian Tomlinson, and 1942, Don Hudson. That's it. Big fan of Don Hudson. His, his poster was actually in my room growing up on the wall. Really? No. <laughs> Football didn't exist back in 1942. The, 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 the 0-16 the Dolphins would make Don Hudson look like he's Orlando's Gary. He said that so convincingly. Though. I'm sure of it. I know. I'm, I'm hurt. You. How many things do you lie to me about? <laughs> it's my secret side on the weekends, guys. <laughs> But uh, from Kyle Allen, though, DJ Moore, 260 receiving yards. Curtis Samuel, 175 receiving yards. Like, those receivers who were drafted so highly were – They're still good. Yes, no, they I believe still you. good. I Careful. believe you. But if Kyle Allen wins against the Titans, he continues pushing off Cam Newton's return. Like, Cam Newton is still injured. Cam Newton's not practicing yet. Cam Newton's still just rehabbing. We and it's keep, a legit injury. I know. And we keep saying, like, oh, he's coming back next week. We said that the last three weeks. He hasn't come, tweeted it. He hasn't come back. But the fact is, like, how long can you hold? Just let's just talk in fantasy terms for one second. They're droppable, right? Or both no? receivers? No, I don't think you can. But they're not doing anything. With I know. Kyle. I, don't understand. I know. Look, overall with this Panthers team, if they're going to make any noise, a, a healthy Cam Newton has to come back and play. That's it. But even sure. when he comes back and plays, I don't think this team is good enough to make the playoffs. I truly don't. Yeah, I'm not dropping Curtis Samuel, even if there's a fire. Like, this <laughs> well, guy is just, I know it's we're you, in though. this together. I know it's you two. Come though. on. We're in this together. I'm talking to the wrong people. I'm getting a new show. Uh, and while we talk about how great some of these defenses are, like the Patriots and the 49ers, while the Panthers defense has ranked up there among them, I don't think they're nearly as talented, and I don't think they, they can be as consistent as we progress in the second half of the season. Their defense had been very good before running into Kyle Shanahan, though. Correct. All right. Philadelphia Eagles are also 4-4. Four and four. Um, I still believe. I still believe in the Eagles this year, For sure. despite the secondary being a clear flaw. Dumpster fire. And I think it's because of what they did this past weekend when they were 3-4 and four and now 4-4. Four and four. They realized that in order for this offense to be successful, they have to have explosive plays. And right now, Miles Sanders is their most explosive player, and he had some big inconsistencies as the season started. Fumbles. Um, missed holes because he wanted to bounce things outside, so on and so forth. Yet they still gave him opportunities. They've been lining out against cornerbacks and linebackers and safeties. Now they got him involved in the running game. And with Deshaun Jackson coming back soon, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a three, four, five game winning streak here for the Eagles coming up. Yeah, I mean, Carson Wentz is the 2017 MVP esque season that he was having. I mean, they had 
um, Torrey Smith and Mac Hollins, who was playing much better at that point as a rookie. Like those guys who stretched the field. 2018, they had none of that with Hollins and Mike Wallace hurt all season. That's why they tried to trade for Robbie Anderson. And that's why they got Deshaun Jackson. And what happened week one? Wentz was absolutely amazing. He hooked up for two long touchdowns with D-Jack. So I think we're going to see Wentz take a big step forward once Deshaun Jackson is back. But quick fun little split I noticed. So you guys remember the Eagles fan who was talking about they were throwing babies from the hospital. We were catching them. Unlike Aguilar. Oh, yeah. yeah. Since that, in five games, Aguilar has 11, 11 okay. catches, 93 yards, and zero touchdowns despite playing 75% snaps in every wow. game. It's not Go- ghosting. The, the Philly fan curse on Nelson Aguilar. I've never heard of the Philly fan curse until now. Yeah, so I'm back on the show. I'm, I'm happy here right now. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, so that was originally, they were originally my Super Bowl pick. Um, just because their their roster in general, they were prepared to handle injuries, and they still are prepared to handle injuries. You see Andre Diller just step in like nothing happened, but their secondary it's abysmal. Was, was yeah, it was abysmal with all of them healthy. And then when they get injured, imagine the players behind abysmal players. Like it gets even worse. Yeah. And there's no one coming to save them. So even when Deshaun Jackson gets healthy, who who are you talking here? This last week was their first game all season, but Ron Darby and Jalen Mills healthy. So, I know they're incredibly thin. We've seen what yes. happens. Even when those guys are healthy, I'm not saying they're world beaters, but, you know, they didn't make a single move at cornerback all offseason because they liked their guys. They wanted their guys to be healthy. They are finally healthy. I'm, I'm not convinced they're going to be great either, mm-hmm. but we'll see. Fletcher uh, Cox has been playing injured, I think, coming back from yes. surgery. Brandon Graham has made some noise lately. But even with me saying that I believe in this Eagles team, I look at this. I don't know if they're better than the 49ers. I don't think that they can beat the Saints. I don't think they can beat the Packers. Those are already three teams that they would have to top they beat the in order Packers. to get the Super Bowl. Yeah, but overall, with the Packers being extremely good and mm-hmm. hitting their stride right now, I don't know if, if I would believe in them being the Packers I again. Do, I do not believe in them. All right, let's keep going. Um, next team up are the Detroit Lions, 3-4-1. I mean, this is just like the most 500 team of all time. They're fun, Des- though. <laughs> despite Daigle Matthew Stafford playing the best football of his career, uh, yeah, that's probably fair. I would agree with that. Yeah. The reason I say that he's about to set career highs in yards per attempt, touchdown to interception ratio, and passer rating this year. Well, when half your attempts aren't checkdowns to Golden Tate and Theo Riddick, it's amazing what a strong arm quarterback can do. Kenny Galladay, real breakout year this year. I mean, he's he was good. Now he's fantastic, and he is being on the receiving end of those deep shots and really lighting it up. Yeah. Team, I don't know how far they can go though with Carryon Johnson out. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's out for the year. And this is a Matt Patricia mind creation, what this offense wants to be of, let's play good defense and let's run the ball. Yeah. And now running the ball is Trey Carson, Ty Johnson, whoever else in the backfield. Yeah, I mean, they just cannot. They wanted to run a fullback and give him a handful of carries, Trey Carson, and just assume that he would take over Carryon Johnson's role. And that they can't do moving forward. What they have to do is transition to full-time passing. Like, they have to lean on their passing game. Um, you know, Ty Johnson still got 40% of the snaps. He had two big runs negated. But even so, he's not the answer either. Uh, you have to look at Stafford and Galladay and Marvin Jones. Kenny Galladay is the most fantasy-friendly wide receiver in the league right now. He's got a league-high 19 targets, thrown 20-plus yards downfield, and then he's tied with Travis Kelsey for the most targets inside the 10-yard line. Like, literally, if Stafford's going to Galladay, it's deeper in the end zone. Okay, let's now move to the NFC teams that are out of it. We'll start off with, and we can be quick with these. Cardinals are 3-4-1. and one. Uh, I think it's trending in the right direction, though. Kyler looks special overall for this franchise. I'm not going to say this year. Overall, Kyler looks special. Um, he's already carried the team in moments to – really fantastic, entertaining times. 
Cliff Kingsbury is doing a great job with the running game. Um, what's holding the team back is just overall talent. And it makes you wonder if they will actually move away from Steve Kime, who's been an awful general manager. And if not, how can this team ever have talent to really compete with Kyler Murray and company around them? Yeah, we should have known something was up with the talent when they brought in Michael Crabtree for that two-week stretch <laughs> to start the season. Because, I mean, other than Christian Kirk, who's been hurt, I mean, it's old man Fitz and a bunch of kind of unproven either rookies or journeymen. So the one good thing that I have, like, that's emerged over the last month is that Kyler's rushing floor is here. I mean, other than Lamar Jackson, he is second in the league rushing yards. And he's only Kyler and Lamar have over 100 yards a season on design runs. So unlike where Josh Allen last year, he was over 50 rushing yards per game. Now that's sunk down to 33. I think because of what Kyler can do and the way Kingsbury is using him on design runs, it's like moving forward. He's going to be year after year a top five yeah top five fantasy quarterback I think I totally agree the, re the reason I write them off though is because they have three games until they're by Niners Bucks Niners and they're doing that perhaps <laughs> without David Johnson and or Chase Edmonds <sighs> um Keyshawn Johnson was a healthy scratch in week in week eight and Larry Fitzgerald who is showing his age now hasn't caught for over 70 yards since week three it's been a mess the Bears are three and four, also out of it. Uh, also a mess. And the team is still sticking with Mitchell Trubisky, and they're continuing to stand by him. They have to take a lesson from the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm okay with them sticking with Trubisky, by the way. Like, what do you lose starting him the next? You're not, you're not a winning franchise anyways. Aren't you nervous that it might be beyond this year they stick with Mitchell Trubisky? Okay, if that's the case, yes. But the rest of this year, I'm fine just going forward with Chase it. Chase Daniel is for sure not the answer. Exactly. So you might as well see and if isn't Trubisky he 33, 32 years old anyways? Like, you have, no, you have nothing to gain by going to Chase Daniel, where you have everything... You actually, you have nothing to gain by evaluating Trubisky either, but you might as well keep doing it because he's a still a team-friendly contract. I'm just happy Allen Robinson is here for about and surviving. five to eight awesome places. He needs again. to do the version of what Von Miller is going to do and just get out of town. Mm -hmm. get, I mean, he went from Blake Bortles to Mitchell Trubisky. Went That's from Blake ludicrous. Bortles to Midwest Bortles, yeah. And I understand uh, Montgomery had a encouraging game, but just wait until he runs to the Eagles line. Yeah, Matt Nagy's end of game decision making and how he acted like he was, was still the funniest the thing I've seen all year. I'm very room. happy I watched it live. It is ludicrous. All right, the Bucks are two and five. Uh, Jameis Winston looks like an excited dog in the pocket. Is what I have written down. Basically, what I mean <laughs> by good. that really is when he sees pressure, it's okay. Let's. Uh, that's him. <laughs> that is Jameis Winston every single time. And with Marcus Mariota getting benched, with Andy Dalton getting benched, when is it time for Jameis Winston to get benched? And this is just a team that will be looking for another quarterback heading into the 2020 season. That list is growing each and every week. And it's wild still. I believe Chris Godwin and Mike Evans are on pace for over 1,200 yards this season. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, Chris Godwin on pace for 1,600 yards and 14 touchdowns. Evans on pace for 1,500 yards and 14 touchdowns. Both top 10 fantasy wideouts. And yet, Jameis Winston contract year on pace for 4,700 yards, but also 27 interceptions. And that's why he gets the boot. I just love when you look at Jameis' stats. Like, if you look at just only yards per attempt, he always looks like one of the more above-average quarterbacks. But the second you add in adjusted yards per attempt, which just factors in sacks and interceptions, yeah. and, you know, plays that also matter and can swing games, it just falls off a cliff, and you kind of see him for what he really is, which I, I, I love that uh, excited it's, dog in the pocket. Though. He's kind of been that tank year with Stafford and Calvin Johnson. Like, he's been that version of Stafford where he racks up the yards just in complete garbage time. Um, but, of course, he has more turnovers because he also fumbles a lot. The Giants are 2-6. and six. We have real quick. 36 tight ends have more targets than O.J. Howard this year. Now we can move on. That's offensive. The Giants are 2-6. and six. Um, We have seen them move on from Eli Manning to Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones has rocky moments in every single game. Bad decisions, forcing passes, 
he fumbles. But what is positive is that he seems to move on from those moments and then have positive ones shortly after. And if he can eliminate those mistakes early, then I think you have something there with Daniel Jones, which isn't something I would have said heading into the season. I think the defense is what's holding this team back. Like the defense is pretty much garbage. I'm okay with this core. We'll see. We'll see what Dan. I'm not convinced Daniel Jones is going to be this awesome quarterback or anything, but Saquon, obviously, if not the best running back in the league, yep. he's right there in the conversation. Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, all these guys that look good, and Darius Slayton emerging as a real legit yeah, deep threat. I mean, you can toss the ball to you. You can't just pay him no mind and you know put one guy in him the whole game and expect to be okay. And I like the move that Dave Gettleman made for Leonard Williams. Like I know he's not the most productive pass rusher, but adding to what he believes is important in the trenches, they have those players. And he didn't give up anything. He basically, I think, traded what he got for Alec Ogletree. Yeah. Like a third and a fifth round pick is what he's up for Ogletree, and that's basically what he's getting Leonard Williams. For. You just they just as good as their offensive, as great as their offensive line is run blocking. It's the pass blocking. And Daniel Jones' only 300 yard performance, the Bucks. This past week against the Lions came in the only games he's seen under 42% pressure rate, 35% pressure rate in both games. Um, against the Cowboys, who create the second most pressure, like it's probably going to be pretty ugly on Sunday night. Yeah. I think I messed up that Ogletree trade, but that's fine. Don't send me corrections. I don't need that. Uh, okay, the Atlanta Falcons are one and seven. Easy question. Is this a quick rebuild for whoever takes yeah. over the job from Dan Quinn or is it a long rebuild? Uh, seems like long, but shout out Julio. About to join Jerry Rice. Only guys ever with six seasons, 1,400 yards. You, uh, you've built too many contracts to make this easy. It's going to be rough for the next few years. Um, you, but what's funny is that you're always looking for a franchise quarterback. You have that, but you have nothing else. Who are even the cornerstones on this team other than Matt Ryan and Julio? Calvin Ridley. Shrady Jarrett. Okay. Grady Jarrett's a really, really That's good fine. football player. And, he, and right. he's played really I think really Deion well. Jones is quite good, but he hasn't played as well as he has in previous years. Well, yeah. probably from back-to-back. It was back-to-back torn ACLs, right? I think true fonts, hashtag washed. Ooh. Okay. Closing this podcast out, as we always should, with the Washington Redskins. They're also 1-7. in seven. They've already fired their head coach. They're getting ahead of everyone else. What a else. disaster. Um, it seems like, Ian, they don't even want to evaluate Dwayne Haskins this year. Yeah, I mean, everyone's just, I don't know. I'm, I'm fine. Like, you don't need to love Dwayne Haskins for whatever reason. Sure, but, but you need to play him. Yeah, but let's yeah, not absolutely. judge him based on, what, 10 pass attempts getting thrown to the fire in Minnesota in a primetime game that you probably didn't even get practice reps no, for. I, I'm not saying you are, but I, I have seen people just being overly harsh with them over that. But, yeah, like at this point, what do you have to lose other than maybe they're just looking at this team going, well, nothing's probably good to come out of it, so why not start over next year? But Yeah, I mean, they've dealt with offensive line injuries, but even with them healthy, I would imagine – Uh, it wouldn't matter in this offensive situation. But you have to play Dwayne Haskins not just for this year, and perhaps you don't even learn anything from this year. You just have to get him developmental reps, and then you can decide over the next two years. Like Mitch Trubisky's two and a half years into his contract, and we pretty much know now after the third year what he is. You have to just see Dwayne Haskins over the next eight games and then take it from there and perhaps not take too much from it, but he just has to practice. I think, by the way, other than Terry McLaurin, the only guy on this team I give major props to, Quinn Dunbar, PFS number one overall cornerback. This really? Year. Yes, figure out if he changed that. numbers from 47? I think he did change numbers That's from 47. That's what helped the uh, progression. Exactly. Yeah, Terry McLaurin has been the bright spot. It looks like Darius Geis is coming back as well. So maybe that should be at least entertaining for the first quarters of games. Um, guys, <laughs> good job. I know this was like a perfectly well-ordered machine. No one in the control room thought we went too long at any moment on any of these teams. Oh, yeah. So that was perfect. Did you just unplug your IVF? Yeah. IFB? It's, it's an IFB. Yeah. I, always, I always get those letters mixed up. Yeah. Okay. That's it. That's it for us. We'll be back later on this week for our preview episode, nine-game preview with Roto Pat. 
with Hayden Winks and obviously John Daigle. Tune in for that. Thanks so much for tuning into this extended episode, this mid-season reset. So for Ian, for Daigs, E, for Josh, talk to you soon. See you, everyone. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.